of the Cardinals are off today, so that means it's time for another Cardinals Off Day podcast. This is Ben Godar here, as always, with my good friend Ben Humphrey. Uh, but Ben is uh, Ben is out on assignment today, folks. Ben, you want to tell folks where you're at? Yes, I am coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, where my family and I uh, went to the game on Saturday and the game on Sunday, and we are still riding high from the Albert Pujols heroics. Uh, after Albert Pujols' second home run, our eight-year-old Lane turned to me and said, uh, can we come to St. Louis more often? <laughs> and so he is. He got to hit the pool after the Cardinals won. Uh, very happy and looking forward to his next trip to St. Louis. Uh, thanks to Albert Pujols, who saved the weekend after Tommy Edmond made him break down in tears on Saturday night, striking out to end the game. <laughs> well, Ben, I think they should use that clip of you in some uh, like convention and visitors bureau uh, commercials going forward, because um, I know that's exactly what they what they love to hear. But uh, since uh, Ben is out on assignment, we're in kind of unusual spots recording today, so um, we're just going to buzz through some questions again this week because we had a whole bunch of questions come in. It covers a lot of really interesting topics, so um, we'll we'll be hitting on a, a whole number of things. And Ben, we're actually going to start with a question from. Uh, our, our friend and friend of the pod, Alex Chrisafuli. Um, he's at AlexCard79 on Twitter. Um, I'm sure most of you probably know him from the Chirps podcast or from his writing at Viva Albertos. Uh, always check out Alex. And Alex asks, during the last episode, you briefly discussed Mark McGuire, which reminded me of a question I've always wondered. In an alternate reality where McGuire sails into the Hall of Fame, like we all once assumed he would, does he go in as a Cardinal? Um, I'm curious to hear what you guys say about it. Uh, the interest of my answer, I, I've always thought that he probably does, even though over 70% of his plate appearances occurred in Oakland, where he also won a World Series and several pennants, which did not happen in St. Louis. Ben, what do you think about this alternate reality uh, Mark McGuire Hall of Fame? Uh, here in the Maguire-verse, uh, <laughs> I would say that there's no question that he goes in as a Cardinal. Uh, you know, he... You know, he and Sammy Sosa, they weren't wearing their uniforms. They dressed them up like ancient Greek athletes as the sportsmen of the year. But it, it uh, for the home run crown and what he accomplished uh, just grabbed the nation in such a way that I honestly don't think many people think of Mark McGuire as an athletic much at all. I'm sure some A's fans do, and I don't mean to, uh, you know, minimize his contributions in Oakland. But for, as a whole, I feel like McGuire is a Cardinal through and through because of how famous he became during that home run chase, which saved baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that you, you know, I mean, when Mark McGuire was on the Simpsons, he was wearing a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. So, I mean, I think there's your answer right there. Right. But um, uh, so I tend to think Cardinal, you're, you're right. The, the home run chase was the the pinnacle of his career in terms of celebrity. You know, that said, I don't know, weird, weird things happen. I do think about, uh, you know, Andre Dawson is in, in as an expo. Um, and I think that might be kind of a a comp in some ways, you know, played longer for the Expos, but, uh, you know, one is MVP as a Cub. And I think, you know, maybe had his kind of peak seasons of fame as a Cub, although I was also too young to really remember him as an Expo. So that could be a factor there as well. So, um, yeah, I guess. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I think he was pretty iconic as an A. You had all the, the Bash brothers, you know, were on posters and things like that. You had the World Series. Um, so uh, I guess we'll never know, or, or maybe we will. I feel like McGuire is one of those guys who could potentially be a, a veterans committee guy down the line. I don't know that I'd argue that he absolutely should be, but I think it's within the realm of possibility. Uh, yes, and then uh, the DeWitts can get the statue out from the storage closet in the basement of Bush Stadium and put it where it rightfully belongs. Correct. Although one thing we haven't confirmed, they may have melted the McGuire statue down to make the uh, Simba statue. That feels like a thrifty move that the DeWitts would have at least considered. Oh, I was just going to say it could be a part of multiple statues for all we know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure bronze went up uh, just like uh, all other commodities uh, during the pandemic. So anyway, uh, Alex, thank you for the question. I think we're, we're both leaning, leaning Cardinals. Um, all right. Cards Talk asks... 
Yepes and Flaherty are about to start rehab assignments soon. What roster moves, if any, do you think the cards will make once they are MLB ready? And Ben, as far as I know, um, they still have an open spot on the 40 man from um, designating TJ McFarland. Is that, am I correct in that? You are. Um, so when we're talking about moves, I think we're talking about with the major league roster. Ah, um, uh, sure. And kind of the on on our last episode, though, we talked about how we just thought it would be Stephen Matz for Jack Flaherty, uh, but they just keep talking positively about Matz and about how he might come back and pitch this year. So that might, you know, kind of as John McClain would say, throw a monkey in the wrench. Um, a little bit with some of the roster moves, but um, you know, Jake Woodford caught the ceremonial first pitch uh, on Saturday night. And uh, I think that's about as much action as he's going to see if the Cardinals have a lead. And so I think if Jack Flaherty is ready to join the St. Louis Cardinals, Jake Woodford will no longer be on the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good guess there. And you know, Yepes, uh, you know, Yepes has options. So I think Yepes may very well rehab in Memphis, and then he may stay in Memphis. Um, you know, he's not somebody that they have to find a spot for. Um, you know, on the other hand, if uh, you know Dickerson's calf is a problem, etc., Yepes is certainly a guy they could they could go to there. So that's kind of the thoughts I would say. And yeah, good clarification. The Flaherty is the only one who's currently not on the forty man because he's on the sixty day DL, but he could just slide into McFarland's spot, so there wouldn't need to be a move there. Um, Stephen Lieberman asks: After watching several Yankees extra base hits go over Dylan Carlson's head. Do you think this outfield would be better defensively? O'Neill in center field, Carlson in right field, and then Newt, Yepes, Dickerson, Donovan, Edmund, Burleson, et cetera, left field. Um, he also asked, who do you think will play Arizona fall ball? Ben, you want to tackle one of those? Uh, well, well, we'll start with the major league roster um, and sort of how the outfield shakes up. Um, Something that I constantly have to remind myself when I'm watching games is the way some things stick out to you that may or may not have importance. And I'm going to use John Jay's arm as an example because <laughs> John Jay made so many terrible throws in the outfield. Uh, I had to constantly remind myself that an outfielder's arm is not as valuable as I think it is based on all of John Jay's terrible throws because most of the time it has no impact on whether a player, you know, would get the extra base or not. Yep. Um, now, sometimes it would. Um, and so that, that can sometimes be the case with balls hit over an outfielder's head like Carlson. I think that the team uh, moved Harrison Bader to free up corner outfield spots uh, by moving – Dylan Carlson to center field. Um, and I think with Tyler O'Neill's injury history, uh, he is an unlikely fit in center, which is a little bit more difficult physically. Yeah. Um, and I think with Carlson's offensive profile, I think that the team views him as a more valuable all around player in center field because the offensive expectations in that position are not as high. Yeah, I mean, I think the crux of Steven's question is basically, could Tyler O'Neill play center field? And I think we have to assume that the answer is basically no, because they, you know, O'Neill played just a bit of center, you know, when he was kind of first up with the team, and he has he has not been back there since. So I understand the thinking, you know, O'Neill is a two-time Gold Glove winner and, and a very very good defensive outfielder in the corner, but um, yeah, be it you know physical limitations, you know anything with his arm, it's uh, just perhaps how he gets to balls, how he moves. Um, they clearly don't think that he is a center fielder because if they did, I think, uh, you know, particularly last season, they would have moved him there. As we talked about last time, you know, you, you, if you've got a good hitter, you often move them to the most defensively rigorous position that they can handle. Then you free up a corner spot for a, you know, a better offensive player. Um, so uh, I think we have to assume that that's going to be the case as for Arizona fall league. I, I I'll be honest. I don't really have, thoughts on that. I, I don't follow the machinations um, of the minors, you know, real closely on that. Um, I will say that last year they, they sent a lot of really high 
um, kind of high value prospects, Nolan Gorman, et cetera. Um, but I think that was largely because those guys missed so many plate appearances during the pandemic. So, you know, my guess is you're going to see, you know, primarily guys kind of double A, you know, ish, so maybe some above, some below, um, and just guys who they really want to get a little bit more of a look at against uh, stronger competition. Um, often it's guys who were injured for part of the season just so they can see them get some more work in. You know, th those are all kind of factors there. And so it's hard for me to really know what they're thinking. It's, it's definitely not here we're going to send our, our top five most valuable prospects. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would be surprised if we see, you know, some of the players that you mentioned who are more like AAA level because AAA is going to go so deep uh, yeah. into the year this year. That's a great point. Um, and so I, um, I think it would be most likely to be some of the more lower level prospects uh, would be my guess. And that's something where you can usually get a better idea uh, as close to the beginning or, or the announcement of the rosters as possible, because uh, you can look at the innings workload for pitchers uh, and see, you know, who do you think they might hold back because they've reached a certain level of innings pitched compared to the year before. And I think this is especially true coming off of the lost COVID season. And so I, I think that we'll have a better idea and I, I hate to kind of punt on the question in this way, but it's one of those things where you kind of have to look at, well, who do they want to get in maybe some innings and who do they not on the, on the pitching side and from the hitting side, I'm just not sure where they're going to go with it. So yeah. uh, I'm actually genuinely interested to see this year if it's more of a retro Arizona fall league roster um, or if it continues to be kind of more of that hybrid approach. Yeah, yeah, we'll be on the lookout. Uh, Drizzy Druster asks, do you think Arenado and Goldschmidt will steal MVP votes from each other? And uh, uh, do you think Arenado stays after this season? And actually, Ben, we had another question. I'm going to scroll down to hit that uh, as well down here. Um, uh, Steve Gloriad also asked, uh, in light of Arenado's MVP type season, do you think an opt-out is possible? Cardinals don't make noise in the playoffs. Um, he has five years, 144 million from 2023 forward. So the two questions uh, are Goldie and Arenado going to steal votes from each other? And do we think Arenado is going to opt out? Well, there's a reason that we in our history as Cardinal fans have an MV3, right? <laughs> and then you know, they did not win that award because I think that they took votes from one another. Um, and I think that uh, this will happen with Goldschmidt and uh, Arenado as well. Uh, however, I, I would also like to say, I think that playing in the National League Central with three tanking teams might hurt them more with the voters than uh, playing on the same team because with the unbalanced schedule, they're getting to play, I mean, let's face it, three jobbers it's basically the brooklyn brawler with the cubs the reds and the pirates and so i think that is probably going to hurt their mvp case uh, each of their mvp cases i should say more than playing on the same team what do you think ben um yeah you know i'll be honest i don't i don't devote a whole lot of my brain to um postseason awards particularly ones that are you know, where it's like, not just who do I think is the most valuable, but like, I have to get my, you know, into the head of the voters, you know what I mean? And figure out like, how smart are they? Or what kind of hangups do they have, etc. So I feel like this is the kind of thing where you can talk yourself into it a, a number of ways. I do think it's a legitimate possibility that that Goldschmidt and Arenado take votes away from each other. And, and Ben, the reason you pointed out anybody who feels like maybe it's a weak division or something like that, well, that's going to be a knock against, you know, both of those guys. Um, and, and probably anybody who thinks that may be less impressed with them. Um, I, you know, right now, Goldie really is, is out in front by just about any, anybody you look at. And, and really in terms of the kind of main metrics you would look at by quite a bit too. Um, he also has a very good batting average, which again, you know, some of the voters are morons, so they might be looking at that. Um, you know, so I don't know. I think it'll come down to, you know, does someone like Austin Riley has really come on, you know, if Austin Riley 
you know, keeps hitting like he was hitting over the last month and he ends up with numbers comparable to Goldschmidt, then, you know, you have the question of, well, where are the two teams? You know, if do the Braves win the East? Um, you know, what if the Cardinals don't win the division? What if the Cardinals do win the division, but it's a weaker division? Um, so, you know, I think all are possible. I think you'd have to say Goldie is the front runner right now, but certainly anything could happen. Um, as for the opt-out, I think there's next to no chance that Nolan Arenado opts out of this contract. And you have to keep in mind that when guys sign these uh, 10-year deals like Arenado signed, the early years of the contract are the most valuable years. The player is going to be worse towards the end of the contract. So he has locked in years uh, at the end of this contract based on uh, his value a few years ago when he started the contract. So you just don't often see guys in this kind of contract opt out because, you know, anybody who would sign him starting next season, you're not getting those early years from the contract. You're not getting that value. So it's hard to imagine, even as, you know, average annual value does increase kind of year to year, I would be surprised to see him get the same value in a contract he would sign this offseason. So I think there's almost no chance. I agree with you. Um, and what we have to ask ourselves is, you know, what is the market out there? And is he going to get more than, you know, about five, one fifty? And I just don't think he will, you know, Goldschmidt is a comparable player. Um, and the Cardinals got him for basically that deal. And so, um, I don't, I don't think the market is out there. And I also think, and I may be foolish in this regard and naive, but I think Arenado is where he wants to be. And I, he's, to be even more comfortable this year and if the team wins the division and and makes the postseason i i think he is you know probably looking at a, a perennial contender and that's what he wants to be on and so i i think those kind of soft factors as well uh, probably count in favor of st louis um and you know i also readily confess i just watched albert two home runs and it was really awesome. And so I'm probably not able to judge this rationally at this point in time. <laughs> nor, nor are any of us, Ben. Uh, so Uncle Frank asks, how much rope does Chris Stratton have? Or in your opinion, how much rope should the Cardinals give Stratton? And Uncle Frank, I got to tell you, Chris Stratton's been on this team for about a week and a half. I, I could barely pick Chris Stratton out of a lineup at this point. So I don't feel like my opinions on Chris Stratton are especially well-developed, but um, uh, I, I, you know, this is a player that they, they did acquire at the trade deadline. He wasn't the centerpiece of the trade. Um, so I think that they'll uh, probably stick with him, uh, you know, for a pretty good amount of time. You know, I also just checked and you know who has the lowest fielding independent pitching of any Cardinal currently is Chris Stratton. So I know he had that kind of, um, you know, gave up a lot of runs the other day, but um, I don't think there's anything in his underlying situation that's different from when they acquired him. So I don't really see him being on any kind of a short rope then. How about you? No, he had a big ERA FIP gap and that's fielding independent pitching, which is based on strikeouts, walks and home runs allowed. And he does a good job at uh, balancing those in a, in an effective way for a pitcher and his ERA does not reflect that, which is not uncommon for pitchers generally, but relievers in particular. And we know that the Cardinals front office for like 10 years has valued fielding independent pitching factors more than earned run average. So I think he has a very long leash. He's also a veteran player who the Cardinals acquired at the trade deadline. And uh, the Cardinals are have a pretty good reputation for treating veterans fairly. And so I think it would be unlikely that they would trade for him and pull uh, a situation where then they would just cut him. After yeah. a few a few appearances, I, I think that would be highly unlikely. Agreed, agreed. And even if even if he were to struggle and they push him to the back of the rotation, especially as they're going to expand rosters, even though they only expand by two players coming up here, that, that, that there's almost no value in that position. So that's not a big deal. Uh, Sashin Parikh asks, there was there has been much mentioned about how Cardinals were prioritizing defense, and now they are balancing offense and defense more. Do you think these were actual organizational intentions or just a reflection of what types of players were in the minors and available? An analogy would be in football where some defensive coordinators pick a scheme and then identify players who fit that scheme versus other coordinators who shape shift their scheme based on the talents of the players that they have. Uh, ben, what do you think? 
Well, I mean, I think they deliberately went out and got Nolan Arenado, who's a one of the best fielders in all of baseball. Um, but they also went out and got Paul Goldschmidt, uh, who was not that great of a defender at the time. And he had a very good defensive year last year, uh, but but by most of the metrics hasn't been that great this year. And, you know, you'll see a lot of media types uh, gush about his ability to scoop the ball. And, you know, that's something where uh, almost all first basemen are good at that. Uh, so it doesn't allow him to differentiate himself from the field. And so, you know, you look at their two big acquisitions and uh, one is an okay defender or probably a bad one. And another one is elite. And then you look at Paul DeYoung, who worked his way up. You look at Tommy Edmond, who worked his way up. And then Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson, they all worked their way up through the system. So I think there is a an organizational approach where they they teach up players on the fielding side. They do a good job of developing them as coaches uh, in the minor leaguers or in the minor leagues. The coaching staff does a good job of developing them as fielders. Excuse me. Um, and then you also have players who maybe don't have a position, like a Yepes or a Burleson, or are kind of the utility knife who is who is averageish in a Brendan Donovan, and so. I, I think it's it, it. There's definitely a give and take um, in terms of what's coming up through the system. Um, but if but if you look at who what the Cardinals prioritize, I think when they're promoting players, uh, they they do tend to like uh, at least probably in the last four or five years players who can catch and throw the ball pretty well. Yeah, I agree 100. percent And uh, last year was a real high point, obviously, with all of the Gold Glove winners and just elite players they had all over the field. You know, this year we've seen you know moves such as trading Harrison Bader, moving Dylan Carlson into center field. You know, yes, that's probably um, you know taking a, a small step back on defense. You know, in order to provide more uh, you know potential offense. But I th- overall, I think it's still pretty clear the Cardinals value offense or excuse me, value defense quite highly. Um, I'm still kind of skeptic about how, how Yepes could fit into this team long term based on this. And, you know, in the offseason, we have people talking about the Cardinals signing guys like Kyle Schwarber, or Nick Castellano. So, of course, the Phillies signed both of them. To me, those are players that I just never see the Cardinals acquiring that type of player because I think they want at least some um, defensive value. So um, so I still believe it is an organizational philosophy um, because I think that they feel defensive value is um, undervalued in terms of contract dollars relative to offensive value. But, you know, that doesn't mean that they're always going to choose the best defender. They will, you know, uh, you know, try to get, uh, you know, good bats into the lineup where they can as well. Um, All right. Uh, Wrist Pumpkin asks, what does the Cardinals outfield look like next year? Do you think they would be looking for potential trades involving Tyler O'Neill or why trade him when his value is low? I think they are going to be listening on outfielders in the offseason. Um, and I think Tyler O'Neill, you know, certainly has the profile in terms of where he is in terms of cost control with the team, uh, where the Cardinals have traditionally maybe unloaded players in his position where they're getting expensive and maybe they're, Uh, ability to produce at the major league level has fallen into question and they have an adequate replacement behind him. Um, So I I will be very interested to see how the club approaches the outfield uh, generally and Tyler O'Neill in particular, because I think Jordan Walker is going to arrive in St. Louis next season and he is going to play a corner outfield spot. And so where does that leave you, uh, if you're Tyler O'Neill and you're the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, I'm going to be very interested to see what the team does with O'Neill in the offseason. Yeah. Well, and Ben, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Walker came out of the game, uh, Gimpy uh, this evening, uh, uh, running out a ground ball to first base. Uh, Kyle posted the gift. There was no camera angle on what happened, but you could see him kind of gingerly um, kind of limping off the field with a trainer afterwards. So that's not good. Uh, and that may have some some impact there. But um, 
Uh, I think I disagree with you a little bit on this, Ben, um, but it, it really comes down to what the Cardinals expect O'Neill is going to get in arbitration. Um, you know, he this season, he they did go to arbitration with him. The, the Cardinals won, uh, and they're paying him th- uh, $3.4 million. Now, that was after a season where, you know, he did get MVP votes last year. He's not been good this season. And so... I think, uh, you know, his salary next year may not take the jump that it could have taken. So, um, you know, uh, now the fact that he hasn't been good this year also raises questions about just how good is he going to be going forward? You know, is he going to be worth whatever he pays? But, you know, I think the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals like our players in arbitration, um, you know, because the, the value is, you know, there is kind of a market value set set for them so this is a case where i think they might not mind that and i I think he might stick around but yeah it just comes down to what do they anticipate that arbitration number might be and uh you know do they think he would be worth that as long as we're talking about o'neill um let's jump ahead jc keller said uh since his july 14th return tyler o'neill is hitting just 172 and continues to exhibit some fairly distinct righty lefty splits do you foresee a situation in which he continues to drift away from the O'Neill we anticipated this season and Ollie shifts him into a right left platoon group and and JC I have to admit I looked into this and I, his platoon splits don't really look too bad to me so I don't think there's a platoon situation there but obviously Ben he is he's not producing this season what what do you see them doing with him going forward I think he's gonna get every opportunity uh now through the end of the year and i think we might start hearing some talking about outfield competitions in the off season um but you know like Corey dickerson's not going to be here next year uh, yeah. you know even if he is not an everyday left fielder or the le- the regular in left field um with his defensive ability and his base running ability he's still a very useful bench outfielder um and so uh, it, it would not surprise me if they start giving him more rests against tough righties as we head down the stretch this year. Yeah. Um, and it, and it would not surprise me if that kind of becomes a regular occurrence in their usage of him throughout the rest of his time with the Cardinals. Yeah. I, you know, I've honestly started to wonder, even just since we recorded last week as O'Neill has continued to struggle, although of course he did Homer uh, today as we record this, um, you know, could this open a door for Alec Burleson this season? I'll say this, the Cardinals tend to um, play with their lineup a lot throughout the season. They tend to give guys very long leashes. They like to, you know, see what they have in guys. But come September, they tend to really lock it in. And it's it's really, you know, they're rolling their best, you know, their best lineup out there, uh, you know, as much as they can. Um, you know, if o- O'Neill continues to struggle here through the end of the month, and I don't know, you know, would they even potentially, uh, you know, look to use one of those two September call-up positions for Burleson? I don't know that I think it's likely, but I, I think it's a possibility. Yeah, I and Mosellock hinted at that. So I, I think it's a possibility as well. Um, I, I would be surprised uh, if they did promote him and gave him uh, a bunch of plate appearances over O'Neill. Um, I feel like he is in the situation that Yepes was last year, and it seems to me that the team is going to keep him down in the minors unless they have to promote him due to injuries. That's just my impression because they haven't called him up yet, and they've had they've had a need for outfielders this year, and they haven't used him to fulfill that need. And so, to me, it seems like. You know he he's going to get a look in spring training, but he he may even get the Yepes treatment in spring, where he gets sent back down to to AAA, and and that would not surprise me uh, entirely if that happened either. Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as we're talking about Burleson, let's jump to a uh, um, Goldschmidt uh asks: uh, Is there a scouting report on Burleson's defense? Seems like he'd be the next man up if there was an outfield injury. Is he at least better than Yepes? And and Ben, uh, these kind of questions, I always point people towards uh, Kyle Reese, of course, uh, who really is kind of expert in these things. Um, you know, I, uh, 
from what I have seen, you know, Burleson is not a, not a great defender by any means, but um, it seems like he's he's fine. His scouting grades, you know, tend to be in the you know kind of forty to fifty range for um, you know defense and arm, uh, and I think he's definitely ahead of Yepes just in that he has a position. He is a corner outfielder. Yepes was kind of a you know first base, third base primarily in the minors. Now trying him in the outfield. Yepes just doesn't really have a position. I think even if, you know, athletically they're, they're somewhat comparable, Burleson's experience um, and, and definitely his, his arm is, is I think, uh, while Yepes has a strong arm, I think, you know, Burleson, who, you know, was a two-way player through college, um, my understanding is, you know, strong arm and, and, and accurate arm as well. What, what, what do you know about Burleson? Uh, I agree with your assessment. Um, and, and we should also point out that, saying an outfielder is a better outfielder than Yepes um, is not <laughs> damning with faint praise. Um, and I, yes. And you know, that's not to take a shot at Yepes. He's, he's just a big, strong guy who's not that mobile and is best suited for a corner infield spot. He, he does have a strong arm though. Um, but he, I, I think uh, Burleson is, uh, or Burleson is, is better than Yepes. He profiles as probably a left fielder um, or a right fielder. Um, but you do hear some talk that his best position might be DH. Um, and so it's one of those things, though, where I would I would really love to get him in the majors and, uh, you know, get eyes on him. Yeah. And then also just get some, some of the stat cast data, you know, on his sprint speed, things like that, and how he does on breaks. Um, because that can be difficult uh, to get a good grip on if you're, you know, watching the games on television, that type of thing. So uh, that that is a very fun website, Baseball Savant, and uh, the fielding stuff that they have on outfielders is really interesting, and I encourage folks to check it out. And hopefully uh, we'll get some information on Burleson uh, sometimes, sometime soon. Yeah. All right. The Lou Boys SC podcast asks, what do you think Edmund's long-term future looks like with the club? relieved of duties when the significant raises come also who do you think gets the first shot at replacing Dak's spot in the rotation if at all so let's start with uh o'neill ben what do you or, or sorry o'neill uh, edmund what do you think um i think he's uh, a useful utility player um and he he could be a very good utility player because of his very good fielding um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cardinals explore a contract with him that reflects that. Um, and, but I think right now with his uh, tendency to just have the bottom fall out on his offense, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they just go year to year with him. Um, and I, I don't think he's the shortstop of the future. Um, I think he could uh, play second base uh, for, um, at least against lefties and then, um, you know, getting some breaks against uh, right-handed pitchers, uh, you know, allowing Marmol to play matchups a little bit there um, wouldn't surprise me. So I, I think he's a player that you don't necessarily feel compelled to lock up um, and you're content to just keep him under club control and see what you have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we're talking uh, and just in terms of how how long they're around and contract things here, we're talking in the Greg Garcia, Daniel Descalso kind of universe. And um, so, yeah, I think any of those possibilities you outlined are possible. I think going year to year could certainly be a thing that happened and could end as soon as, you know, they didn't feel he was worth the value he was going to get. Um, yeah, I could see them agreeing to kind of a, a deal through his arb years, kind of like what they did with Bader, you know, just kind of agreeing at a, a number that both of them felt uh, made sense there. Um, but, you know, I certainly don't see a long-term contract or any kind of, you know, shortstop of the future, but I, I see a lot of value there. I mean, I, he, you know, I think, you know, DeYoung is, is pretty well on his way to reclaiming that primary shortstop role, but I think they're really both just kind of keeping the seat warm for Mason Wynn at this point, if things go the way that the team hopes they do. Um, you know, I think Mason Wynn is the starting shortstop in 2024. Um, but until then, you've got DeYoung and Edmund as a utility player and a really great utility player who, uh, you know, if he, if he had to be your everyday shortstop, your everyday second baseman, etc., 
uh, that's just fine. So, um, and then uh, what was the other part of that question? Oh, uh, replacing um, Hudson spot in, in the rotation. I mean, to me, Payante is pretty obviously the, the guy. Would you agree? If, um, I, I, and I'm, I, I guess I, I'm assuming I'm assuming that's talking about this year is is why I'm saying that. Oh yes, yeah. I I well, I think Jack Flaherty is the leading well, candidate. Good, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, to replace Hudson uh, in the rotation. Yeah. I think next year, I, I agree with you. That seems likely. Although, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not entirely sold on him as a starter, and I wouldn't be surprised to, to see the club explore. And we talked a little bit about this after the trade deadline, and I don't want to belabor the point, but Quintana or could maybe get on a one-year or two-year contract yeah. Um, to give you a little bit more depth in the rotation, that that seems like a very prudent thing to do rather than rolling uh, with the current internal options uh, going into next year. Yeah, well, and we, as we talked about last time, if, you know, if Wainwright comes back next year, their five rotation spots are, are locked up. You know, it's yep. it's a Wainwright, Michaelis, Montgomery, uh, 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 Flaherty and uh, Matts. You know, there's your yep. five. So, um, so I think there's a good chance that, um, you know, Dak and Payante are kind of on the outside looking in, um, next year. Um, so we got two questions that, that both, um, kind of relate to Ali Marmol. I'm going to, um, hit both of them here. Uh, Dan cards fan 69, a good Twitter follow, um, asks, what are your thoughts on Marmol's first year as manager so far compared contrasted to Matheny Schilt years? What would you like to see the front office and Marmol do next year and in the years to come in terms of pregame, in-game management and use of analytics? And then a uh, related question, Ryan Kirkland asks, uh, I'd like your thoughts on Ollie's bullpen usage so far this season. As an example, he used Piante in the second game in Colorado, which is odd considering Hudson starting the next day and Ollie's firm stance on not letting Hudson see the opposing uh, opposition a third time through the order. So Ben, a few questions kind of related to Marmol there. What do you, how do you feel about him overall? Um, I feel pretty good. Uh, he's a very direct communicator. And it uh, compared to a Schilt or a Matheny, um, and it appears to work with the players. Now he has the support of Pujols and Molina, uh, which I think goes a long way in the clubhouse. And I'm interested to see uh, what the long-term effect of his communication style is when he doesn't have veterans like that, uh, that he can lean on um, in terms of, uh, his use of analytics. I have been very happy to see him talk about how the team needs more swing and miss in the, in the bullpen in particular, because they do. Um, they leave a lot more to chance uh, going with the bargain bin pitch to contact philosophy uh, that sees you go with people like uh, McFarlane. And I think his assessment of last year's acquisitions and how those have those that they have carried forward into this year uh, in the last couple of weeks has been very good where he said last year we were walking way too many people and it made sense to go that route with guys who don't walk anyone and pitch to contact and play to our great defense. But we need more swing and miss because we leave less to chance and it makes you a better team. And I thought that was very refreshing and good to see. And I don't think you would have seen Schilt or Matheny uh, be that direct in their assessment uh, of the roster uh, or kind of with their finger on the pulse of what is the most effective way to be a pitcher. Um, yeah. Because they both seem to kind of uh, go the old route. So I've been uh, pretty impressed so far uh, with him, uh, but I am very interested to see how his communication style plays out over, say, five years. Um, because I, I could see it maybe rubbing some guys the wrong way. Just in terms of the directness of it and them kind of bristling when that, that directness, uh, you know, reads as criticism of them. Yeah. Um, and even if he has had that conversation with them in person in the clubhouse, I think the overall baseball culture is more of what we say in here stays in here. And most managers and Tony La Russa has always done a very good job of this. And Schultz certainly made a point of doing this they go out there and they make themselves the target for criticism and shield their players. And Marmol tends to be more of, you know, like Jake Woodford. He's like, his slider isn't good enough to be a good major league pitcher. Well, then what happens when you call Jake Woodford up when you're in a close race with the Brewers 
and you need him to get three outs and you've told him his slider isn't good enough. Now, maybe his slider is better now. We don't have the data. Um, but, you know, it, there's a little bit there of the seed you plant in April with direct criticism, you know, is that going to grow in August and what's it going to grow into? Yeah. Are you going to get are you going to get a better slider out of Jake Woodford or are you going to get him where he either doubts himself or he resents you? And how many guys can you do that to before you begin to lose the clubhouse? I suppose that's a possibility, but I mean, you know, uh, I think there's a long and proud tradition of throwing fringe players under the bus. And I think that's just where Jake Woodford found himself. You know, I don't think, you know, he, I think Ollie knows better than to, uh, you know, criticize pools for not running out a ground ball or something like that. Uh, I, I gotta be honest. Like I, I really, Ollie is about as good as I could have hoped for at this point. I, I have, I would say no notes for me. Um, you know, you know, does that mean everything is perfect always? No, but in the universe of what you can expect from a manager, I think he's been pretty good. And I, I was actually just thinking today as I was watching his post game news conference and all the things you talked about, Ben, how direct he is, how clear he is, you know, et cetera. I thought, you know, you know, Mike Schilt was not a bad manager. Mike, Mike Matheny was a bad manager. Like that was a problem that absolutely needed to get solved. Um, you know, Mike Schilt was not a bad manager, but just in the same way that you can look at your ball club and you can have, uh, you know, uh, a, a player. Let's just use Tommy Edmond because he's just perennially the punching bag on our show, Ben. But, you know, Tommy Edmond has been the second baseman. But obviously you've got, you know, the, the club moved Nolan Gorman to second base, you know, to try to get him on the field. Uh, Tommy Edmond was not a, 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 a huge problem there or anything, but there's a, you know, there's potential to upgrade there, you know, just as you do that with a team, right? You look for those places where maybe there's potential to upgrade. Uh, the Cardinals did that with the manager position in a way that historically teams often haven't, Te you know, managers have, have often been kind of like long entrenched until, you know, they just really fell on their faces and had to be replaced. And so I, I commend the team for doing that. Um, I think it seems like the front office and the coaching staff are very much on the same page, which I think overall, um, you know, is is a good thing. And, and I guess more to the to Ryan's part of the question on, on bullpen usage, I, I think it's been great. I think it's been great. Again, you know, no notes. I, I see, um, you know, I see I see Helsley being used as often as as he is healthy, as the team believes he's healthy, and he's remained healthy because of that. Um, obviously, there were times where. You know, McFarland is the name that always comes to mind, but, you know, other guys who, you know, weren't performing great, you know, had to throw innings, but that was just kind of part of the perennial process of working through who has it and who doesn't. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's really solid. Uh, he mentions Piante, not piggybacking Hudson or whatever. You know, I, you know, Piante is not there to piggyback Hudson, they've said, and I think that's true. I think Piante is there to be a long man whenever they need him. And so if they hold him back just, for, you know, in case they, they need to piggyback Hudson, they're basically wasting two, two roster spots on what should be one. So those are my thoughts on that. Anything else on bullpen usage, Ben? No, I think he does a pretty good job of being aggressive when he has the lead and a game to win. You know, he, as, as you just said, there's no reason to hold back a pitcher because another pitcher is starting tomorrow if you need that pitcher today. Yeah. Um, and so I, I have no problem with that. And I have very little uh, confidence in Hudson this year. Um, but it's clear, you know, they, he saw the opportunity to win that game and went for it. And even with Hudson going, you know, if if you would have guessed that uh, Cabrera would be a goat in that game, you know, I don't think you would have. No. So no. I, you know, it, 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 and so it's one of those things where, yeah, he, he did that, but I don't think that had much to do with why they lost that rubber match in Colorado. Yeah. And well, so um, I agree with you. I think he's done a good job. Well, you know, and I even, I saw some criticism after the, the Sunday night game that the Cardinals lost. Um, you know, about the, the process that ended up with, you know, Dickerson in the outfield. And, and of course, we'd heard Dickerson's leg was bothering him. Dickerson didn't, you know, didn't didn't play the ball that came to him real well. But I thought that was brilliantly executed by Marmol that end of the game. You know, he got Pujols in that bat against a left-handed pitcher, you know, in the bottom of the eighth inning, which, you know, could have given them a lead going into the ninth. And I think on Sunday, we saw exactly why you try to get Pujols at bats against left-handed pitching. You know, to me, he played 
all of the percentages perfectly in that game. But, you know, it's it's baseball. It doesn't always go your way. <laughs> and so, you know, you can't you just can't look at, you know, single games or single decisions and and extrapolate from that. Um, no. All right. And and I and I agree with you. I thought Saturday's uh, pinch hitting was very well done and put the team in the best position to win. It just didn't, you know, they, they didn't deliver on the opportunity and that happens. It's baseball. So yeah. um, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's done a very good job, especially for only being his first year as a big league manager. Yep. All right. Paul Goldschmidt highlight retweeter. Eric asks when rosters expand to 28 in September, do you see any value in carrying a third catcher so the Cardinals could pinch hit for them in the late innings? And uh, Paul Goldschmidt highlighted retweeter Eric. I have never seen value in a third catcher. I hate the third catcher. I hate it with a, a, the passion of a thousand sons. Um, I, you know, it's been a thing forever. And granted, when we had the huge September rosters, I get it. It made sense to have it. But you've seen, you know, certain managers like cling to it as this like security blanket. And I mean, how many games have you seen a team pinch hit a catcher and then that catcher gets injured? I mean, Ben, how many of those games do you feel like you've seen in, in your lifetime? Uh, not very many. And me, me neither. something and, where you're, yeah, and, and, where and they so do it, it all the time. If it happens, you know what I think happens? You lose that game. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you, you know, uh, how many games can you win by utilizing a, a spot on your roster in a more effective way? So anyway. I don't know what they'll do now. Now that said, um, you know, this year, uh, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on what they're going to do with that? Uh, the, the expanded roster. Um, I, I think we need to see, uh, what Yepes's health looks like by all accounts. He, he, he is going at for a while there. I, I wasn't sure what his health status would be because it seemed to be worse than they thought it was. And I wasn't sure how much worse because they didn't yeah. give us, uh, that much of a of a clear picture um but but to me i i think um i would i would be surprised the roster did not include what we have today with yepes on a rehab stint plus yepes and and then you know what do they use that other uh slot for and you know because i i look at the minor leagues right now and i'm just you know, do you really need like a Jake Woodford on that roster? Um, okay. You know, I so I, I think it'll be Yepes, um, and um, I have not checked the rule now that I'm talking about this out loud. But I, I believe they're allowed to to add another pitcher. Are they not, Ben? Oh, that's a good question. I believe so. I mean, since you can expand the rosters, I assume it changes that as well. And I and and so again, assuming you and I are right on that, and we could be totally wrong. Uh, I think you just you you definitely do add a pitcher just because you know then you have those extra innings and frankly it's probably Jake Woodford um, you know there to you know just if you're just looking for a guy to absorb some extra innings um, you know we haven't heard a lot recently about Thompson and Libertor um, you know so I don't really know what's going on with them if if you know they could see either of them being you know potentially a a valuable addition to the bullpen so I think you know certainly a pitcher. Um, and then, um, yeah, if you're just adding kind of an end of the bench type type bat, like really a pinch hitter, Yepes certainly makes the most sense. Um, you know, Burleson, as we've talked about, if Burleson's going to come up, he's going to come up to play and get, get a run of games playing every day. And that's the one reason that I mentioned earlier. I'm watching O'Neill a little bit because I actually think, you know, Burleson coming to this team could have more to do with O'Neill than it has to do with Dickerson and Newtbar because they're not going to bring him up until he can start every day. And so, you know, if, if, if Dickerson, you know, if, if Dickerson's injured or something like that, but they're still committed to O'Neill and Newbar, I don't see them bringing Burleson up uh, at that point. Um, anyway, so that's, that's a context where I could potentially see Burleson being in there. You know, as long as we're talking about a third catcher, I, I said, I hated it, but I mean, Ivan Herrera is a, a top 100 catcher who they actually see having a future with this team. So maybe there is a universe where I think it would make more sense to bring him up than it would when they just kind of brought up, you know, warm body jobber, Austin Romine type catcher in, in years past. Yeah, I agree. Herrera, if they want him, you know, to work on some of the game planning and that type of thing with Yachty and and with Kisner so he can kind of get a feel for some of the pitchers and how that process works. 
uh, in the majors, I, I think it would be a good learning opportunity. And then you could also probably get him some plate appearances. But he's going to be able to play every day for most of September in AAA. Right. So how do how does the organization weigh that value? And I guess we're going to find out here in a couple weeks. We most certainly will. All right. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, and I think this is actually our last question, uh, Ben. Um, Alex Wasiliak asks, uh, who is the Cardinals' best starter right now? Do you think Flaherty returns to form at some point in a Cardinals uniform? What do you think, Ben? I think their best starter right now uh, is at Bush Stadium. It's Adam Wainwright. I think overall it's probably Miles Michaelis. And no, I don't think Jack Flaherty will return to form. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I would I would say I would say Wainwright. Um, but you know, Wainwright and Michaelis and Montgomery, I think, are like so close, uh, you know, it's, it's, it would be hard to, to separate the three of them. And, and frankly, that seems like kind of what the, the Cardinals are going for, basically, <laughs> you know, like, uh, especially when we talk about, you know, next season, when they potentially have Matt's back and, you know, etc. right. We're talking about basically a five man rotation of like, number three, number four type starters. And, um, you know, I think that's, I think that's where they believe there's value. So, um, but, you know, if I had to pick one of those guys to start a key game, it would still be Adam Wainwright. Um, and I don't think that's just kind of believing in, in magic. You know, he really has um, just, you know, consistently performed at that level over the past few years better than, you know, any of the others have. Michaelis has been very good this year, but Michaelis, we've also seen Michaelis be injured and not so good. Um, you know, Montgomery, um, I think, again, skill wise is kind of in that range, but I, I'd still probably go with uh, with Wainwright. All right, Ben, we have burned through these questions. Um, I appreciate you um, taking some time to, to dial in while you're out on the road there. Uh, anything else uh, for, the, for the good of the order before we wrap things up today? Uh, no, I, uh, I really appreciate everyone taking the time to send in questions. And uh, I was happy to uh, join you remotely on location on assignment. Uh, a few blocks from Bush Stadium. And uh, I, I have to tell you, though, Ben, what really shocked me was the reaction of the crowd when Goldschmidt and Arenado, the two MVP candidates, would come to the bat versus Pujols. <laughs> like, yeah. it, was, it was like it was 2009 all over again. Like, yeah, you guys are pretty good. Um, right. But this guy, <laughs> right. uh, we're all here to see this guy. And yeah. it, it really was almost like traveling back in time today. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, in the games I've been to, I've experienced that as well. But I mean, speaking for myself, um, I'm just so grateful to have that opportunity to cheer for Albert Pujols one more time. I mean, greatest Cardinal player of my lifetime. And I think, you know, pretty good chance I don't see a better one. <laughs> I hope I've got a number of years left, but Albert Pujols is that good that we very well may uh, may not see uh, his equal uh, for, for some time. So, Alrighty. Well, um, I think that's uh, going to wrap it up for today. As Ben said, thank you everybody for all the questions. Um, we'll be back again, I believe, next Monday. We've got another off day. And so we will see you then on another Cardinals Off Day podcast. 